the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. The answer. It is every bit of that. Good morning to you. Thank you. Past 10 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on this Wednesday, the 26th morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2020. By the way, I, I feel terrible. I uh, did not mention this in the first hour. I uh, am, am remiss in uh, neglecting to mention that this is Ash Wednesday. So to all of my Catholic brothers and sisters, uh, the start of the holy season of Lent is upon us. And uh, I trust that we will all do our very level best to... Um, to keep it and make it holy. Uh, so uh, blessings to all. Uh, okay, um, want to dive back into Bernie Sanders now, and I know I've spent a ton of time on him this week, ever since, of course, he rolled the victory, uh, convincing victory in Nevada, and has established himself as clearly the front runner. If there was any doubt of that, by the way, take a look at the debate last night. You'll know who the front runner was by who was receiving the most... Uh, slings and arrows they came for blood for bernie last night and it rattled him just a little bit but bernie sanders is the front runner which begs the question how how can a capitalist nation a nation founded on liberty a nation founded on individual rights and small government how could we be in a place where an avowed socialist, which is really truly just his cover for what he really is, which is a lifelong communist, at the very least a communist sympathizer, can be the frontrunner for the nomination as president of the United States of one of the two major political parties. How did we get here? Who is to blame for that? Well, my next guest says we are because of how we raised our kids. Joining me now is Jake Novak. Jake Novak is uh, a CNN, CNNBC, CNN, goodness gracious, why can I not say CNBC without saying CNN? Two different networks, CNBC.com editorial columnist. He's a creator of Varney and Company on uh, the Fox Business Channel, uh, a former executive producer of the Cudlow Report as well, and he's the host of Novak Now uh, as well, radio, uh, as a part of Jake Novak News. I hope I got all of the titles in there. Jake Novak, thanks for joining, joining us. How are you? 
Well, thanks for that great intro. You got all the accolades in there. Thank you so much. Uh, well, you know, I, I'm looking at your bio line on Twitter, and I'm looking at your byline on uh, CNBC.com where this column ran, and uh, you've got a lot of titles here. you got a lot of business interests there, and uh, that's good. It's good to be diversified and varied. So uh, I just wish I could say CNBC without saying CNN. <laughs> um, all right, so, Jake, I read with great interest your column. I read it on Monday. Uh, uh, Bernie is the front runner because of how we, we raised our kids. Uh, and I read the article, and I got to tell you, I think you're spot on. Uh, we talk about it on my program a lot about the influence of education, the educational system. Sometimes it's out of our control based on what is being taught, even at the elementary school level, certainly at the middle school and high school and the collegiate level. Uh, so we blame the, you know, indoctrination centers, but a lot of this is based on what we do in the home and what uh, kind of message we have sent our kids that has led to them embracing the likes of Bernie Sanders. Why don't you start out with the first point uh, about about college? Yeah, I think, you know, I look at this from a financial point of view, coming from CNBC and coming from financial news, and of course it leads into uh, a political and a philosophical uh, outlook as well. We have told our children of this country pretty much since the end of World War II, but I think it really intensified in the 70s. We've really sent this message that college is the only real way to succeed in America. Uh, once the manufacturing base in this country really hit that terrible snag in the 1970s, that became absolutely the number one message. And at the same time, the colleges being basically, you know, they're not officially for-profit, but they are, basically being for-profit entities, capped up their tuition sky high based on that increased demand and also based on the fact that the government is backing up the student loans needed to stay uh, to an unlimited level. Why wouldn't they jack up their prices? So we've raised now more than just one generation of young people uh, going into a situation financially that they really cannot handle on their own. There was a time in America where you could either pay your whole way through college or you could take a dent in the tuition by, by working part-time. I don't see how most kids can do that today. And that has made Bernie Sanders extremely attractive to uh, more than just one generation, but certainly this current generation of college students because they have a massive debt that they can't pay back, and they get told this is the only way to get there. They feel railroaded. I don't blame them for feeling that way. I don't think Bernie Sanders is the solution. But how can we blame them for thinking that a guy like Bernie Sanders can along and say, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to eliminate student debt, and I'm going to make college free? I mean, how is that not going to be an attractive message to them? Yeah, it's um, it's one thing about current college students um, and also recent graduates or recent dropouts. Either way, if they left college with loans, uh, the idea that Bernie is going to pay them back or essentially Bernie is going to going to wipe out those debts. Elizabeth Warren and some others have promised this too. Certainly is um, you know a factor in this. But what I look to is future college students, Jake. Um, the fact that he and again others like him want to create free college for all is going to multiply this problem by by an uh, in, in you know in, in, a num- number you cannot even calculate because what is the percentage of 18 year olds right now that are going into college versus going into the military into the work world i don't know what it is but it's going to double or triple when kids find out i don't have to get a job yet and I don't have to pay for college, I'm going to college. I'm going to go to college, maybe I'll last a year, maybe I'll last two, but I'm going to drink and I'm going to party and I'm going to have fun, and it's not going to cost me a nickel because the government that Bernie is going to run is going to pay for it. That is going to exacerbate the problem, like I said, by a factor of, of, of unknown, unknown number, unknown quantities. Yeah, and you, you've also described what I think is the overreaching problem when you've described a situation where you can go and do something without the responsibility attached to it, in this case, you mentioned the financial responsibility. 
what we have in this country is, at first, it's a good thing. We've delayed the age of adulthood. You know, if you go to some of these war-torn countries in the Middle East or in Africa, you know, 13, 14 years old, that's the age of adulthood. I mean, that's that. We certainly don't want that in this country. But we've moved past 18 and 21 in this country for the age of adulthood. I think the age of adulthood for most Americans, or certainly those who are somewhere middle class or above, is more like 30. And that's too old. It's getting ridiculous in this way. We don't have, we don't put, we put fewer and fewer responsibilities on our young people, even as they take on, for example, massive college debt. I can't tell you what 18 year old in this country is worth the 250 to $300,000 investment of a top private college right now, even if they are getting into a Harvard, Yale, or a Columbia. I, it's just not worth it at that age. You don't have the understanding of how much money that is or what it takes to earn it and pay it back. We have delayed the age of adulthood on other things, like, like the responsibility of marriage. If you're not in a good relationship or you're not in a relationship at all, you should not be pressured to get married. But I have friends who have children who have been dating nice people for 10 years, and they wouldn't think of ever saying to their kid, hey, you maybe want to get married and move out of the house and have kids. I mean, you know, in the old days, that was the old joke. You know, the, the, the body mom or dad would say stuff like that. But now we move to the other extreme. We were afraid to ask our young people to become adults. Also, we're 47 years from the military talk. You mentioned the military. Now, I happen to think our military is much better as a voluntary force. I think every military expert would agree with me on that. However, we, we lost something. We lost something. We, it didn't come. It came with the price. Because we lost something when we got rid of the draft, which was the immediate responsibilities uh, a male authority figures coming into the lives of a lot of kids who have grown up in single mom households. We lost that in this country. Um, now, listen, again, the draft was a good thing to get rid of, especially after Vietnam, and we saw a lot of troops in Vietnam. We did not want to be there, and we get it. But the fact is, we've lost so many of the triggers to adulthood in this country, whether it's paying your own way to college, whether it was the draft, or whether it was the understanding that if you want to start a family, you have to get married. And we keep doing that, and again, Bernie Sanders becomes like that and we get parents, or that next parent. It's kind of like, you know, it's, it's actually good that he's an older man because he comes off as this old guy who's maybe your grandfather or your father you didn't have, and he's, he's solving some of your problems because you're still not an adult even though you might be 28, 29, 30 years old. Jake Novak is our guest. He is a uh, columnist for CNBC.com, uh, among other uh, ventures. And uh, his latest is about Bernie Sanders being the front runner because of how we raised our kids. Um, Jake, I've got more questions for you about the rest of your article. Can you hold uh, through a break with me? Absolutely. Okay. Jake Novak will continue the, to discuss this with us, including why we told our kids that America's house was on fire and what impact that had on uh, their uh, appeal or the appeal that Bernie Sanders holds for them. We'll continue that next on AM 1420, The Answer. Ten twenty one. We continue now. Our guest is uh, Jake Novak. He is a columnist, uh, among other things. His uh, latest column with uh, CNBC is uh, on Bernie Sanders. Why he's the front runner because of how we raised our kids. Before we get into America's house being a fire and young people uh, being ignored by the establishments in both parties, Jake, 
Uh, I have a tweet here I wanted to get your reaction to. Uh, a great tweet from Brett who says, Personal responsibility is a hard sell in the face of, a, of constant pandering to a society relentlessly taught to be a victim. I think that's a great point. We have, we have, we have coddled our kids from the moment they could walk and telling them that participation is the most important thing and accountability is not. We have taught them, uh, if somebody says a word that offends them, they have a right to redress, uh, that they have a right to some sort of uh, compensation for the, the offense that they have suffered. How are we going to get kids at 18, 19, 20, 21 years old when they're voters to actually understand personal accountability when they've never had to live it? Yeah, and you know, that's a great segue into, you know, so there were about a million things I could have put into that column. It could have been a 5,000-word column, but you know, we had to, had to have some time. But, you know, but, but sounds, like there's a book, a, sounds like there's a book in the works. Yeah, I mean, there is. And, and you know, that, that tweet is a good segue into another issue, which I'm sure your listeners will appreciate, and that is we've also started to raise our kids the last few generations with a lot less religion. I mean, listen, all the surveys show it. Fewer kids are going to church or a synagogue or any kind of house of worship. And, you know, look, one of the things that I listen, I know there's all kinds of theories about it, but I do think this some this is something that crosses all religions, uh, all the major religions. I think Judaism, Christianity, and Islam would all agree to this. But certainly, but since we're going to focus on the Bible here, I want to focus on Judaism, Christianity. Okay. Look at the Bible, especially the, fi- the the five books of Moses. You'll notice there's nothing in there about human rights. It's all about human responsibilities. Now, human rights are put into that context. In other words, it doesn't say you have a right to be free. You have a right to this, that, and the other thing. It's, it's, it phrases it differently. It says, you have the responsibility to make sure that people are free. You have the responsibility to protect uh, human life, as opposed to, no, you know, here's what you're entitled to. And that's what really sets a lot of the Bible apart, and it sets those people who are, who are brought up in a particular religious out, uh, upbringing. So Bernie Sanders is not only reaping the benefits of the fact that he's the first really non-religious completely. He's very, very happy to say he has basically no religion in his life. 20, 30 years ago, that would have been a death sentence for a political candidate. Um, I'm open to anyone, even a secular person, being a, being a president. That's fine with me. But understand that Bernie Sanders is much more alluring to younger people these days because so few of them have really been brought up with a religious upbringing. And you mentioned the whole part about responsibility there. I think Absolutely. that's another issue. It's a great point. That's a, a great uh, add-on to this uh, part of the discussion. Let me go to uh, the part about America's house being on fire. You write, for all the policy differences and political minutia Democrats delve into in criticizing President Trump, the most enduring attacks on Trump from the Democratic establishment remain accusations that Trump is supporting white supremacy and is controlled by Russian President Vladimir Putin. It is hard, I would imagine, for young people who read this on a daily basis to believe in, in, in the capitalist ideals that are founders actually put into place and that Donald Trump is trying to adhere to when he is painted as being, you know, all things negative. Yeah, I mean, look, I think there are a lot of young kids out there, especially some of these tech geniuses who are darn smart and have a heck of a lot smarter than I am. But there's a certain amount of wisdom that only comes with experience. So after 40 years or so of watching American politics, I kind of know when the partisan stuff is BS and when it's serious. When they're throwing a partisan arrow out there just to try to get people crazed, I don't believe that any of these Democratic leaders who are throwing around this Russia collusion stuff or throwing around the white supremacy stuff really believe it. But young people, I think, or people who are not experienced in watching politics, they're likely to believe some of this. And I think a lot of them do. Now, after three and four years of even the so-called nice guy candidate, a guy like Pete Buttigieg, saying that President Trump is basically a white supremacist or supporting white supremacy and his voters are supporting it. And after basically three, four years of saying that he's a foreign agent, 
and and they're continuing to do it even now, well after the Mueller report. You had Lawrence O'Donnell uh, basically saying that the appointment of Richard Grinnell was at the order of Vladimir Putin. No proof, nothing. I mean, just crazy conspiracy theory stuff. I don't think anybody who has any experience is believing that, but I think a lot of young people are believing that. Now, after three, four years of this kind of stuff, are you really expecting the, these kids to vote for a moderate candidate? You're upset they're not voting for a moderate? If I thought that the president of the United States was a foreign agent, I would want to vote for the most radical, blood-spitting, <laughs> blood fire-eating guy as possible to get rid of him. And that's Bernie Sanders in a lot of I mean, he's certainly the most radical candidate. But the irony but of that, really but, if I may, Jake, the irony yeah. of that is this, though. If, if, if he's a foreign agent, particularly a Russian asset, as though is what the allegation is, and, and, and doing Putin's bidding by putting Grinnell, everything you just said, why would the choice be, I know you, I get your point about radicalism, but why would it be the one guy who's got the closest ties to communism? The closest ties, uh, you know, by, by his own label, democratic socialism, which we can all just drop the democratic modifier and call it socialism. And as Lenin said, socialism's goal is communism. And this is a guy that honeymooned in Moscow. This is a guy who praised, uh, communist leaders in Nicaragua, in China, in Venezuela, in, uh, in, in Cuba, in, in Russia. If they're, if they're scared of the Russian asset narrative about Donald Trump, the phony Russian asset narrative, why would the solution to that be Russian, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, I don't want to call him an asset anymore, I guess, but, but you know, a communist sympathizer like Bernie? Because these kids have no memory of the Cold War. They were born after it was over. They don't really know about how it was an international network. So they might think, well, since the communist regime in Russia has been gone for almost 30 years, then that doesn't really matter that, that Bernie Sanders supported them. It's a different country. They don't understand that it was an international movement. They don't understand that the totalitarian nature of the Soviet Union is still very much alive and well in Russia. I mean, Vladimir Putin is a, is a, is a, was a lifelong KGB guy. I mean, we can talk about political philosophies all we want. When it comes down to it, it, it was about the totalitarian nature of the Soviet ideal that they imported to places like Cuba and, other place, and, and, and places like that. Why do we, again, I mean, this is another problem. This is another thing that delays adulthood. When you don't learn history, and you don't learn even relatively recent history, I mean, where do they put the, 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 t the teaching of the Cold War in our elementary schools and middle schools and high schools? Right at the end of the term, right? Because they go in chronological order. So on that last day before you have to start studying for the final and the teachers run out of time, is probably when they get into the Reagan Revolution, probably when they get into the Cold War. And by then, you know, they've lost the students' attention. And even if they did spend some time on it, I've seen some of the textbooks. They don't give, they don't, I, there's been a lot of revisionist history about the Cold War that gets into our textbooks, into the AP exams, by, for, for example. So, you know, it, it, just to answer your question, they don't connect those two things because they don't know it. Remember, we're dealing with young people who have not been taught even recent history. Jake Novak is our guest. He wrote a piece for CNBC called, uh, or headlined, Bernie Sanders is the front runner because of how we raised our kids. You closed your op-ed, Jake, uh, by saying that, um, it's looking more and more like Sanders has unstoppable momentum going into the Super Tuesday primaries and beyond. Now, I read this on Monday. That was prior to last night's Democrat debate. Has your opinion changed? Did anything that you saw last night change your view that Sanders is unstoppable? No, I think that he's, look, I think the Democrats are faced with two difficult choices. I hope for their sake they, they find some other, some other choice, but I think that they're really with two difficult choices right now. Either they can let this momentum go, not stand in the way of their own voters, and Bernie Sanders wins the nomination, they, will, they would expect to lose the general election. As I mean, I'm talking now about the Democratic establishment. They would expect to lose the general election after that. Or they have this other horrific choice, which would be to find some 
chicanery either at the convention or beforehand to, to get Sanders out of the way. And if they do that, I think they lose more than the election in November. I think they lose uh, many elections to go on. If you remember, the, the 1968 convention, for example, wasn't, a, wasn't chaos because it wasn't clear who the nominee was. You know, Robert Kennedy had been assassinated. Eugene McCarthy didn't have a chance. It was obvious that Hubert Humphrey was going to be the nominee. But the discord that everyone saw both inside and outside of the convention hall killed the Democrats for many years afterwards. They did win the, the 76 election eight years later, but that was only because of the reverberations of, of Watergate, and they barely won that election. Had that election been held two weeks later, Ford would have won. People didn't like Carter the more they saw them. So they lost basically like four or five elections in a row, most of them by landslide. I think if the Democrats try to stop Bernie with some kind of chicanery or other trick or to insert Bloomberg in there on a second or third ballot, they will face the same fate. They will face three, four, five straight landslide losses. So if I'm the Democrats, i got two terrible choices right now. I hope a third option comes up just, just for the sake of the country. I would hate to have such a terrible choice in front of so many Americans. But right now they're looking at those two bad choices. But who's your money on? If you were in a Vegas sports book right now and you had to pick one of those seven from that stage last night that will be the standard bearer at the convention in Milwaukee, who's it going to be? Oh, it's absolutely Sanders. I it mean, is everyone okay. else is a, is, a, is a media creation. Everybody else is, is, is trying to buy their way through. And ultimately, the American people choose, even at the primary level, someone who they're more engaged with, even if it's really bad relatively. I mean, even if it's like a John Kerry in 2004 who didn't have much of a personality anyway, but look who he was up against. Um, right now, Bernie Sanders has got all of those categories that tell me he's likely to be the nominee. And, I, I, yeah, that's where I put my money on right now. And, again, if they pull, I, I can't bet on some kind of backroom deal that I don't know about because I, I don't know about it. It's completely secret to, to all of us. Well, they did it four years ago. They screwed him out of <laughs> any possibility of the nomination in favor of Hillary. So, you know, it's not like the history isn't there. Uh, uh, Jake Novak, CNBC, and uh, Jake Novak News as well. Thank you so much. Great conversation and great column. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. 1031 News Time now on AM 1420, The Answer. Ten thirty-seven onward. Thanks for being with us on this Wednesday. We cleared the phone lines during that interview uh, that we just had with Jake Novak. So this is your opportunity to get in two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Dial now eight 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 two eight one eleven ten. Guest free the rest of the way. I do want to follow up though. We've spent so much time, and I'll admit I have been laser focused on Bernie Sanders because I hate the idea of communism. Bernie Sanders is a communist. Forget about his label. Bernie Sanders is a communist. I've been laser focused on him because a communist is the front runner for the Democrat Party. But this guy was once considered the front runner, and we need to again continue to watch his downward spiral. But my friend and my right and others have, in fact, also given to the gun manufacturers absolute immunity. Imagine if I stood here and said we give immunity to drug companies, we give immunity to tobacco companies. That has caused carnage on our streets. 150 million people have been killed since 2007 when Bernie voted to exempt the gun manufacturers from liability. He didn't stutter. He didn't hem and haw. He didn't mutter. He didn't mumble like he wasn't sure of the number. He said it loudly directly and clearly 150 million americans have been killed since 2007 he did not equivocate he did not say somewhere around there 
He didn't say about. He didn't, like I said, he didn't mumble forgetfully, not remembering the number. He said it loudly, directly, and clearly, which means he believes that has caused carnage on our streets. A hundred and fifty million people have been. A hundred and fifty million people. Half the U.S. population has been killed in, in the last 13 years, Joe Biden says. 150 million people have been killed since 2007 when Bernie voted to exempt the gun manufacturers from liability. I, that is, I'm sorry, I, that is a staggering statement. Staggering. And I guess that kind of describes Joe Biden's campaign. Staggering. It describes him in virtually every public appearance he makes, debate or town hall or campaign stump speech. Staggering. He staggers to the stage, mumbles something virtually incoherent, doesn't know where he is, doesn't know what office he is running for, and makes up things like getting arrested while trying to see Nelson Mandela, makes up stories as he goes. I've stopped paying attention to Joe Biden. I focus now almost exclusively on Bernie Sanders. And there's a reason. Bernie Sanders is a genuine threat. Joe Biden, I think, is just a threat to himself. I think he's a danger to himself. I think allowing this man, whose cognitive functions can legitimately be called into question, free of politics, mind you. This isn't about politics. Because if it was, I'd be saying the same thing about Joe uh, Pete Buttigieg has uh, cognitive issues. Uh, Elizabeth Warren has serious mental issues. Uh, outside of you know just being liberals, which is a mental disorder, I, I have not said that about anybody else. I'm only saying it about Joe Biden. So it's not about politics. I feel bad for the guy. I think he's got serious problems. He cannot think straight. He cannot remember basic things. You know, from from five minutes uh, five minutes ago. And the fact that he said what he said about gun deaths in America with the strength and the conviction that he did is really, really quite terrifying. 150 million people have been killed since 2007 when Bernie voted to exempt the gun manufacturers from liability. And there you have it. I want to play something else for you now. This is not something I normally do uh, because I've got enough enough stuff to fill hours and hours and hours of, of good quality radio with. But um, returning to my laser-like focus on, on Bernie Sanders, ref, ref, returning to the reality that he is not a democratic socialist who has any idea or any belief in actual capitalism. In fact, I've got more audio I could play again from the Today Show from the 1980s when he spoke with Phil Donahue. And Donahue asked him directly, do you believe in capitalism? And he said no. He said no. A democratic socialist today says he believes in elements of capitalism, but that democratic socialism is needed to level the playing field. But he has said that he does not believe in capitalism. He has praised communism. So where am I going with this? Here's where I'm going with this. I'm going to Dennis Prager and Prager University. Prager University, I've often told you, just some of the most remarkable educational videos you have ever seen, all five minutes in length or thereabouts, sometimes 450, sometimes 520, but five minutes in length animated with narration that explains just about anything and everything that you do not understand about politics, uh, culture, history, society, you name it. 
It's there. And this particular Prager University video was narrated by Dennis himself. Why isn't communism, this was from 2017, why isn't communism, which we are now staring face to face, as reviled and as hated as Nazism? We all, justifiably and rightfully and obviously, hate Nazism. We saw what it brought. What communism has brought has been far, far worse. If you were to survey Generation Z and millennials today and ask them how they feel about Nazism, what percentage do you think would respond in a favorable way? 1%? Maybe? Not even? Ask them about socialism and communism, it's polling at around 60-70% who have a positive view and say they could see themselves voting for a socialist or a communist. How can that be? And the answer is because of an ignorance of history as to what communism really is. So I want to take these next five minutes, and I'm going to ask you to listen to Dennis Prager. When people describe particularly evil individuals or regimes, why is it that they use the terms Nazi or fascist? but almost never communist. Given the unparalleled amount of human suffering communists have caused, why is communist so much less a term of revulsion than Nazi? Communists killed 70 million people in China, more than 20 million people in the Soviet Union, not including about 5 million Ukrainians, and almost one out of every three Cambodians. And communists enslaved entire nations, in Russia, Vietnam, China, Eastern Europe, North Korea, Cuba, and much of Central Asia. They ruined the lives of well over a billion people. So why doesn't communism have the same terrible reputation as Nazism? Reason number one, there is, simply put, widespread ignorance of the communist record. Whereas both right and left loathe Nazism and teach its evil history, the left, and I'm talking about the left, not traditional liberals, like Harry Truman or John F. Kennedy, has never loathed communism. And since the left dominates academia, almost no one teaches communism's evil history. Reason number two, the Nazis carried out the Holocaust. Nothing matches the Holocaust for pure evil. The rounding up of virtually every Jewish man, woman, child, and baby on the European continent and sending them to die is unprecedented and unparalleled. The communists killed far more people than the Nazis, but never matched the Holocaust in the systemization of genocide. The uniqueness of the Holocaust and the enormous attention rightly paid to it have helped ensure that Nazism has a worse name than communism. Reason number three. Communism is based on nice-sounding theories. Nazism isn't. It's based on heinous-sounding theories. Intellectuals in general, including, of course, the intellectuals who write history, are seduced by words, so much so that they deem actions as less significant than words. For that reason, they haven't focused nearly as much attention on the horrific actions of communists as they have on the horrific actions of the Nazis. They dismiss the evils of communists as perversions of true communism. But they regard Nazi atrocities, correctly, as the logical and inevitable results of Nazism. 
Reason number four. Germans have thoroughly exposed the evils of Nazism, have taken responsibility for them, and have attempted to atone for them. Russians have not done anything similar regarding Lenin's or Stalin's horrors. To the contrary, Lenin, the father of Soviet communism, is still widely venerated in Russia. And as regards Stalin, as University of London Russian historian Donald Rayfield puts it, quote, people still deny, by assertion or implication, Stalin's Holocaust, unquote. Even less so as China exposed the greatest mass murderer and enslaver of them all, Mao Zedong. Mao remains revered in China. Every Chinese currency note has his picture on it. Until Russia and China and Vietnam and Cuba and North Korea acknowledge the evils their countries committed under communism, communism's evils will remain less known than the evils of the German state under Hitler. Reason number five. Communists murdered mostly their own people. The Nazis, on the other hand, killed very few fellow Germans. World opinion, that largely meaningless and amoral term, deems the murder of members of one's own group far less noteworthy than the murder of outsiders. That's why, for example, blacks killing millions of fellow blacks in Africa elicits almost no attention from world opinion. And reason number six. In the view of the left, the last good war was World War II, the war against German Nazism and Japanese fascism. The left does not regard wars against communist regimes as good wars. For example, the American war against Vietnamese communism is regarded as immoral, and the war against Korean communism and its Chinese communist backers is simply ignored. Until the left and all the institutions influenced by the left acknowledge how evil communism has been, we will continue to live in a morally confused world. In the meantime, all good people owe it to the victims of communism to learn what happened to them. Even worse than being murdered or enslaved is a world that doesn't even know that you were. I wanted to share that with you, as I noted at the beginning, because every word is true. We don't view communism with the proper revulsion that we should. We don't view communism with the hatred that we should. We don't view communism with the recognition of how dangerous it is, as we should. We recognize all of those things about Nazism, correctly so, as Dennis pointed out. Nazism led to the Holocaust, which is unprecedented, and as Dennis said, unparalleled. So we have the right reasoning for nobody, again, if you were to interview and take a survey of young people today about Nazism, no one would say, yeah, I could vote for a Nazi, yeah, I could vote for a, somebody who believed in Nazi principles, the Nazi, the National Socialist Party of, of, of Germany in the 1930s and into the 1940s, yeah, I could, nobody would say that. But you ask young people today if they could vote for somebody who's socialist, Marxist, communist, they're saying yes. Bernie Sanders' very existence as the frontrunner for the Democrat Party is proof positive that the American educational system and the American media have done their level best to wipe out communism as a true threat to freedom and to uh, American liberties in, in general. 
They have done their best to make sure that Nazism keeps its place as the most hated, reviled ideology in, and organization uh, and systematic uh, abuser of, uh, and, and murderer of humans ever. That's, that's, that's correct and that's just. So they have done their best to make sure that is maintained in the forefront of American minds, including young people. But they have literally tried to wipe history clean of the over 100 million people murdered by communism and over 1 billion people's lives ruined by communism. And that's what we need to keep in mind as we watch Bernie Sanders rise in power in the Democrat Party. All right, your phone calls to wrap it up after this. I have just posted that uh, video of Prager University to my Facebook page. So if you follow me on Facebook at France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio, you can watch that and share it with others. What I wrote is what I just said on the air, too. Ask a college student today if they would ever support a Nazi candidate, and what would they say? They would say, hell no, and they would be right to say so. But ask a student if they would ever support a socialist or communist candidate, and what would they say? That question is already being asked, and they are saying yes. How can that be? How can they be so fluent in the horrors of Nazism, but so ignorant of the horrors of communism? Share this. Educate your young people. Educate them, because they are dying the death of ignorance. Jan in Greater Cleveland. Hi, Jan. You're on the air. Go ahead. Oh, hi there. I wonder if uh, uh, Joe Biden has ever declared who would be his running mate. And I think he's handled. I think he has handlers, and the Democrats probably didn't think, they probably thought he could present himself better than he is presenting himself. And uh, God alone knows who would run the country if Joe Biden was in the presidency. Well, you know, it's a great question, Jan, and thank you for the call. I, I don't know if he has named uh, 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 the type of running mate that he is looking for. I do know that Bernie Sanders, I fear, feel the same way about because his health is not good. He just had a heart attack, what, six months ago or whatever it was? He's uh, he's He's very old, and... I don't know that he would necessarily survive his first term in office, much less a second one. And so his running mate would be extraordinarily important. And what has he said? This is something that's important. Bernie said, I haven't heard Biden lay this out yet. He said he has said, I would hire or I would uh, I would run with Michelle Obama. She could be my running mate. I think he's just in a pander to to black voters. But uh, Bernie Sanders uh, said something very, very different. Bernie Sanders has said that. There should be no, I'm trying to remember the phrasing now, doggone it, and I might just have to go to my next call while I hunt for this, because I retweeted it. Somebody pointed out what Bernie Sanders said um, a couple of days ago, Oh, it is, and it was at a CNN town hall on Monday night, is what it was, and he said something to the effect of, um, uh, we should wipe out racism in this country, nobody should be judged by the color of their skin, and then in the very same evening said he would, there's no way he would pick a white vice president. <laughs> so it's just the the hypocrisy of it all. Uh, yeah, it, it matters who these people, particularly Biden and uh, 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 Sanders, would be running with because there's a very strong possibility anyway, not probability, but possibility, that their running mate could be taking over the Oval Office 
um, before term is over. Don and Cuyahoga Falls. Hi, Don. Go ahead. Hey, hey, Bob. Good to talk to you today. Hey, uh, you, you too, sir. I'm glad you're really hammering home on this the legacy of communism here. And uh, Dennis Prager, I think he actually even understated the number of deaths uh, by the communists. Uh, one thing is that alarming me is that you know Bernie Sanders is look at this as kind of kindly old uh, you know uncle that's kind of crazy, and a lot of those old communists were looked like at like that. Uh, you know, there was old lovable Uncle Joe Stalin and Nikita. Khrushchev pounding his shoe, and uh, <clears throat> Gorbachev with a stain on his head. There, they were almost uh, reduced <laughs> to like, cartoon-like characters. Uh, the, the the slaughter in in the communist nations is well documented. You know, you, you can read Social Nietzsche's works, like the Gulag Archipelago, and uh, Robert Conquest has done a number of books on the 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 communist murders. Uh, like Kulima and Nation Killers. And there was hundreds and hundreds of millions of, of victims of communism in the Ukraine, the 30s terror, and in China. I, I just can't emphasize enough how, how terrible this was and how many people died uh, at the hands of well, communism. You're, you're 100% right, my friend. And, and I, uh, Don, I appreciate the call. Thanks very much for weighing in on that. I want to get one more call in before we are done. But we will, by the way. Understand this, we will continue to hammer this home uh, throughout uh, the uh, the Democratic primaries and the general election as well. AC in Cleveland is going to be our final caller. AC, in about 30 seconds, Bob? go ahead. Yeah. yeah, okay. I want to make a quick correction to what uh, Dennis Prager said. Go ahead. Okay, he, said the Germans, he said the Germans didn't kill their own people. The communists did. The Germans did kill German Jews. Those were their own people. Yeah, I think what his words were were very few, uh, comparatively very few. Obviously, the the Germans, uh, or excuse me, the Jews in Poland and surrounding countries outside of Germany were the vast majority of them. He did say very few. Thanks for the call, my friend. I appreciate it. Um, that's all the time we've got. Mike Gallagher is coming up next on AM 1420, The Answer. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Bye-bye. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com